You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Cheese and Packers, a project powered by the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm your host, JJ Leahy. Happy to be with you today. Follow me on Twitter at JJ Leahy, that's L-A-H-E-Y, to stay up to date with all things Packers or to ask me questions. I like just chatting with Packer fans in general. We got some news. Um, Got a couple of research projects, I guess, that we're going to get into. We're just going to talk some Packers football. Uh, and first off, we're going to start off <laughs> with a question that I got, and I forget who asked me this now because it's been a little while. Uh, so I, I apologize. I, I don't even know how to go about looking up who sent this to me. Anyways, the question was, so the Bears trade away like all their picks all the time. And the question was, how good are those players that end up getting drafted with those original Bears picks that they trade away? thought that was a fun question. Like, okay, who, who did they miss out on? Without looking it up, my assumption was this was going to be juicy. There was going to be some dudes in here that just make you kind of cackle. <laughs> uh, Bears traded away the pick that was eventually spent on this player and they took this player (laughs) now here's the wonderful thing profootballreference.com tracks all of this for us they make it super easy so i'm i'm honestly just going to read a lot of this out loud because (laughs) because i can all right so looking we're going to start in 2021 and move backwards uh on draft day uh, they traded 2021 first round pick 20th overall, which was later used on Kadarius Tony, a 2021 fifth round pick number 164th overall subsequently traded to who somebody else, uh, for, and, and by the way, one of the issues with looking at the really recent trades is that there's going to be guys that you're like, I have no idea who that is because, they were a rookie last year and didn't get to play. You have no idea if, the, if these dudes are even any good. Uh, but this was uh, defensive back Jamar Johnson. He was drafted by the Broncos. So then you have 2022 first-round pick, seventh overall, spent on Evan Neal. And 2022 fourth-round pick, number 112 overall, for Daniel Bellinger, who is a tight end who was drafted by uh, the Giants. They gave away all that. So Kadarius Toney, Jamar Johnson, Evan Neal, and uh, Daniel Bellinger for Justin Fields. The following day, they traded 2021 second-round pick, number 52 overall, which was subsequently traded to the Browns, with which they drafted linebacker Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, who had a fantastic rookie season. 2021 third-round pick, Number 83 overall, Tommy Tremble, tight end that I really, really, really liked. He got drafted by the Panthers. Panthers had a garbage offense last year. Tremble didn't do anything, but I really liked him. And, man, I mean, if, if you could trade for Tremble today for a third-round pick, I, I would do it in a heartbeat. Um, just saying. But anyways. And 2021 sixth-round pick, number 204 overall, wide receiver Shy Smith. A lot of you should remember his name from draft coverage uh, last year. Uh, And that was all spent to acquire Tevin Jenkins, 
2021 second round pick number 39 overall. And they also got a fifth round pick last year, which they spent on Larry Borum, who is what is he's a guard, isn't he? Uh, 90% certain he plays guard for the Bears or did last year. Uh, I'm not sure what he's doing this year. He played 10 games last year, started eight games. Curious off the top. Let's see. Larry Borum. What was his grade last year? So PFF has him listed as a tackle. He had a 61 grade last year. Uh, and then Tevin Jenkins, of course, had a horrific rookie season. So in the fifth round, he got Borum, who had a 61. In the second round, you got Tevin Jenkins, <laughs> who had a 47.5 PFF grade. Good Lord. Allowed two sacks, committed seven penalties. He only played 160 snaps. How do you have nine horrific plays out of 160 snaps? That's... I mean, that sucks. <laughs> oh, I, this this exercise is already more fun than I thought it was going to be. I mean, we're still in 2021. Uh, let's see. Uh, then on May 1st, they traded. How does this work? Oh, this is the following day. It threw me off because it was May. So we got, got three days in a row, April 29, 30, and May 1st. So this is day three of the draft. They traded a sixth round pick. Which was drafted, or they they traded that to the Seahawks, who took Stone Forsyth, and you can kind of just pencil in anything that the Seahawks ever do in the draft is going to stink. Stone Forsyth is a tackle, so you know you got the Bears trading picks to the Seahawks. I think that instantly these picks get less valuable because, although I think that Ryan Pace was kind of garbage at most of his job evaluating talent in the draft and actually finding good players he was decent at he was crap at getting good value for those players he was constantly giving picks away and moving up and moving up and moving up made terrible free agency moves anyway so i need to rehash that he's not even there anymore uh but so they traded really they they moved back uh 11 picks in the sixth round and picked up a seventh-round pick for their trouble. So they took Khalil Herbert, who was good last year, at least in the small sample size. I'm just curious. Yeah, he's still with the Bears. Why did I think he left? There was there was a different running back they had that, who left this offseason. Uh, and then 2021 seventh-round pick, number 250 overall, with they, which they spent on how, I don't know how you pronounce his name, Caresis Tonga, I think is how you say his name. And Tonga is a defensive tackle, still with the Bears. Okay. Then, on July 26th, they didn't give up. And they get, they, so they traded Anthony Miller and did a pick swap. Uh, they picked up... This is, there's so many more trades that happened. So, like, they traded Anthony Miller and a seventh-round pick to the Texans. That seventh-round pick got traded at least once, but I think more than once, because it somehow ended up... Uh, Hang on, wait a minute. Tariq... What's the guy's name that we drafted? Yeah, Tariq Carpenter. Yeah. So, this Bears pick ended up in our hands somehow. That's what I thought. I, I know the Texans drafted a, a Tariq as well. At least I think they did. There was another Tariq who was way higher in, in the draft. Anyways... And I thought he went to the Texans, but maybe he didn't. Um, but then what they got in exchange was a 2022 fifth round pick that they eventually traded away to uh, who? To the Bill Bills? What? Yeah, the Bills. The wording on some of this stuff is really confusing. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, but that ended up being wide receiver Khalil Shakur. And then October... Fifth, they traded a sixth round pick. Oh, that's a 2023 sixth round pick. So we have no idea yet. Okay. Overall, I would say in 2021, the Bears significantly lost out uh, uh, in value. The uh, The trades that they made did not benefit them. So to speed things up a little bit, this time I'm, I'm just going to list 
the players that they got and the players they gave up. 2020 uh, gave away a fourth-round pick used on Shaquille Quarterman for Nick Foles. Gave away another fourth-round pick used on uh, Cam Bynum to the Vikings uh, for a fifth-round pick. How does that work? What? Traded fourth-round pick to Vikings for fifth-round pick. Oh, it's a different year. That's why. Uh, they traded 2021 fourth-rounder for a 2020 fifth-rounder, and they used it on Travis Gibson. Travis Gibson! Oh, my gosh. Would you rather have Cam Bynum or Travis Gibson? I mean, I know they're young players. I know they're young players, and their career could wildly change going forward, but my lord. Uh, let's see. They traded a sixth-round pick used on Sean Bradley, a sixth-round pick used on Quez Watkins, and a seventh-round pick used on Casey Tuhill for a fifth-round pick used on Darnell Mooney and a seventh-round pick used on Lacavius Simmons. I think Bears fans would be okay with that trade right now. Uh, and then they traded tight end Adam Shaheen to the Dolphins for the pick that was eventually traded to the Seahawks for Stone Forsyth. So 2020, I would say you lost a few decent fourth-round picks here. Uh, and for all your trouble, you did manage to give up a uh, two-sixth and a seventh for basically Darnell Mooney. I think the Bears fans are okay with that, especially compared to the, their other trades. I mean, that looks brilliant compared to their other trades. Um, ooh, so I just flipped back to 2019, and I immediately noticed they traded Jordan Howard to the Eagles for a sixth-round pick that was eventually traded as part of that big Darnell Mooney trade. So you gave up you know, the picks that you had plus Jordan Howard for Darnell Mooney. Again, Bears fans love Darnell Mooney. I think they are still okay with that trade, but just throwing that out there. They traded a third-round pick, eventually used to draft Damian Harris to the Patriots, of course. Close some of these tabs. I've got like 40 open tabs now because I keep opening all these um, transactions. They traded uh, the Damian Harris pick for... <laughs> Ah, every one of these trades, it says, you know, traded traded this for this, subsequently traded, and then, you know, some other players. So, like, they do all these trades and get future picks, but then they trade those future picks away. So, all you see is, like, who, you know, you gave up this guy, and in exchange, somebody else got to draft this guy, and you got to draft this guy. And it just makes it more and more disappointing the, the further down you get. Uh, and 2022 or 2020 fourth round pick subsequently traded to the Jets to draft James Morgan, uh, that quarterback out of uh, Green Bay High School, to the Patriots for a third round pick used on David Montgomery and a sixth round pick used on Duke Shelley. Uh, so overall, you give up a third, a fifth, and a next year's fourth, and you get a slightly earlier third and a much later. Well, I mean, you're turning the fifth and the fourth into a sixth and you're moving up slightly in the third. So the only good news there is that you did use that to draft David Montgomery. Uh, you also drafted Duke Shelley. I cannot remember off the top of my head if Duke Shelley is a good football player or not. Let's see what PFF says. Duke Shelley, cornerback. Ba Whoa, bad. Now, his overall grade is just a 53, so that's not horrific. But first thing that jumped out at me was his run defense was 35. I mean, he's a cornerback, so if you're going to be sucky at one thing, I'd rather you be sucky at run defense. But coverage grade, 58.2. Um, allowed 35 receptions last year on 46 targets. That's horrific. But he's been in the league a couple of years now. What was he before that? He actually got worse from 2020 to 2021. What did he do in his rookie year? Yeah, he's gotten worse all three years he's been in the league. Now, in 2019, he only had one target. He barely played at all. So, yeah, he only had five coverage snaps. He allowed one. Uh, he had one target and zero receptions. So, 
you know, fine for his rookie season, I guess. But then the more playing time they give him, because because his uh, his snap counts jump up drastically every year, and the more uh, the more snap uh, snaps you give him, the worse he plays. So, love to see that when I'm looking at the Bears. Um, and then <laughs> here's another. Every time you look through here, also you see a bunch of Packers in here. Uh, like they don't do deals with the Packers, but uh, May 6, 2019, traded 2021 seventh round pick, subsequently traded to the Cardinals to draft Michael Manet, who now is a Green Bay Packer, to the Raiders for kicker Eddie Pinheiro. Well, that worked out pretty well. He's not their kicker anymore. Two years later, actually, not even two years later, one year later, their kicker was um, Cairo Santos. So, I mean, I'm not saying you gave up a lot in this trade where you. You know, you know, I mean, you're you're throwing away a seventh round pick, got used on Michael Manet, who got cut by the Cardinals and it was signed as a free agent by the Packers. I mean, you you didn't lose much. I'm just saying you didn't get much either. They do these deals and it it doesn't benefit them. 2018, I think this is a. a I guess we'll we'll go back as far as 2017. 2018 traded a fourth rounder. Eventually traded away. This is the thing. They always get traded away again. Uh, eventually traded, uh, used to draft Antonio Callaway and a 2019 second round pick. Subsequently traded, drafted Mikhail Hardman. Uh, they gave all that to the Patriots for a 2018 second round pick. So what they did is they used a fourth round pick to move up. Wow. To move up five spots in the second round. That's brutal. For comparison, the Packers gave up a, a fourth round pick and how many spots did they move up in the first round? Like five, something like that to draft Jordan Love. They moved up five spots in the second round for a fourth round pick. And then they used that to draft Anthony Miller, who is no longer with the team. He was traded to the Texans. Texans cut him, if I remember correctly. I'm not going to look it up because I don't really care about the Texans. Uh, and in September, they traded their first round pick, eventually used to draft Josh Jacobs. Their sixth round pick, eventually used to draft Blesson Austin. I guess he didn't pan out. Uh, and a 2020 first round pick. So two first round picks. You got a 2020 third round pick in here. 2020 second round pick. 2020 seventh round pick. A 2019 sixth round pick. And all of that netted you... Where is this? Oh, no, they got a second-round pick back. So they gave up two firsts, a third, and a sixth. They got Khalil Mack, Cole Komet, the Cole Komet draft pick anyways, and a seventh-rounder. Um, I'm fine with that trade. It's it's okay. It's fine. I mean, it didn't, you know, Khalil Mack is no longer with the team, and you got, like, what? Hang on a second. Let me look at this. What did they get in compensation for? Because the whole issue with the Cleo Mack trade was like you're giving up all this capital and you have to pay him a crap ton of money. They ended up having to move on from him because they couldn't afford all that money. They got a second rounder and a sixth rounder for Khalil Mack. They used that second rounder to draft Jaquan Brisker. Uh, let's see. Also in 2018, they traded... DeAndre Hall to the Eagles for a seventh-round pick that they used to draft Kareth White, who did not pan out. He ended up spending some time with the Packers. He is no longer with the Packers. 2017, this is the last year we're going to do. And you know why we're doing 2017, because draft day traded 2017 first-round pick, 2017 third-round pick, 2017 fourth-round pick, and 2018 third-round pick, uh, to move up one spot and draft Mitch Trubisky. So here's the players that they gave up. This is brutal. Oh my goodness, this is brutal. So first of all, the guy who was taken with the pick that they would have had had they not traded up is Solomon Thomas. Solomon Thomas, now with the New York Jets, he was drafted by the 49ers, a uh, horrific player. His grades are disgusting. Terrible player. So, you know, could have, you know, for all the Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, whatever, you could have had Solomon Thomas. But that's not where the trade ends. That third round pick 
was eventually traded to the Saints. They drafted Alvin Kamara. That fourth round pick was traded to who? They drafted the uh, Seahawks drafted Tedrick Thompson. Not a good player. But their 2018 third round pick stayed with the Niners and they drafted Fred Warner. So, you know, Solomon Thomas, uh, number three overall pick, Tedrick Thompson, fourth rounder. Yeah, meh. But you lost out on Alvin Kamara and Fred Warner for Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, the following day, traded 2017 second round pick uh, to the Cardinals, who drafted Buda Baker with it. Uh, for a second round pick, they moved back and they drafted Adam Shaheen, who they traded to the Dolphins like a year or two later. I think one year later for like peanuts. 2017 fourth round pick, uh, they drafted Tariq Cohen. I love Tariq Cohen. However, hasn't played in two years. Um, definitely definitely a, a bummer. I, I really, really, really like Tariq, but you can't argue they really got great value out of this. 2017 sixth round pick uh eventually traded to who the heck is jeremy clark jeremy clark is a cornerback for what the heck team is this looks like he was drafted by the jets but i can't tell who he plays for now and uh and then they also here we go 2017 they drafted a Fourth round pick eventually spent on Josh Reynolds, wide receiver. And sixth round pick. Oh, yeah, this is the Jeremy Clark thing I just looked at. Uh, oh, okay. This is why. That's why I was confused. So they gave away the Buda Baker pick. And in exchange, they got the Adam Shaheen pick and the Tariq Cohen pick. And they got the Jeremy Clark pick. Well, the next day, they traded away the Jeremy Clark pick. And the Josh Reynolds pick to the Rams to move up five spots in the fourth round and select Eddie Jackson, who had one good year. And then they traded a pick to the Chargers, and Pro Football Reference doesn't say what pick that was, uh, for Dontrell Inman. So you got like two good trades here total out of the last few years. But that, man, this is a pile of good players you missed out on. Just in 2017 alone, Alvin Kamara, Buda Baker, Fred Warner, uh, Josh Reynolds is not terrible, um, and a bunch of other scrubs. Uh, and in exchange, you got back Mitchell Trubisky, Adam Shaheen, Tariq Cohen, and Eddie Jackson. That's what you got in the 2017 draft. That's that brutal. So, all right, that was fun. Um, I'm going to take a, a quick break here, and then I have another topic I want to hit. But, uh, again, sorry to whoever asked the question because I forgot who it was. But, yeah, that is what happened with the Bears picks that they've traded away. And it's going to be even more fun to watch how the uh, 2022 trades um, pan out in the future when we can kind of see whether these players are any good just for um, perspective. So they gave up Khalil Mack and they got in return Jaquan Brisker and a 2023 sixth round pick. They got, they gave away Khalil Shakur, Thomas Booker, Tyson Anderson, and Elijah Hicks. And they were able to pick up Braxton Jones, Treston Ebner, Doug Kramer, uh, Dominique Robinson, Jatir Carter, and Trenton Gill. No, it looks like they got Elijah Hicks, actually. So they gave away, gave away a sixth-round pick to the Chargers, and then they drafted Elijah Hicks and Trenton Gill out of that. So we'll have to see, because uh, a lot of these are future picks uh, as well. Or I guess, I guess only just one of them is a future pick, uh, too. Two future picks and uh, a bunch of rookies that we have to see how they pan out. But uh, we'll take a quick ad break and I'll be right back. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. 
So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay. Um, Patreon.com slash JJ Leahy if you want to support the show. Help me continue to um, get cool subscriptions to various sites that will give me better information. Uh, get uh, better um, studio equipment, that kind of stuff that I really want to do. Or if you just like the show and like what I do. Also, make sure you check out No Huddle Radio over on PackersTalk.com. That's the other podcast I do. Uh, So I do Wednesday and Thursday every week, uh, this show and No Huddle. So if you haven't checked out No Huddle yet, give that a listen. Uh, Here is the topic we're going to dive into today. I want to start a conversation about what is the new identity of the Packers. For example, do you know what schemes we run offensively and defensively? I asked Coach Hahn how he would uh, describe the schemes we run, or or, or rather just what, what labels he would slap on each one. Because, uh, like, like I said to Coach, I said, I, I would say that we run a wide zone offense and we just colloquially call the offense the Shanahan scheme and call the defense the Fangio scheme. Always wondered, <laughs> what's the name of the Fangio scheme? What does he run? Is it Tampa 2? Uh, we know that Joe Barry has um, you know, uh, roots in, in the Tampa scheme. Coach said I would call it a wide zone spread offense. And for defense, we're just going to call it the 3-4 Fangio. I like it. This is it. 3-4 Fangio. So uh, I'm not really going to talk a lot about the offense today. I am going to dive into a bit of the defense and what the what the Fangio defense uh, slash the Joe Barry defense really is about. Because <sighs> we have, I think we're, we're going to see in 2022 on the offensive side of the ball, I think we're going to see another step in the direction of the pure LaFleur offense and what, what that is, which is a, a, an offshoot of the Shan, the Kyle Shanahan, uh, Mike Shanahan offense, I should say. Uh, and there's, there's several teams in the league that, that run the Mike Shanahan offense. They all have their own flavors. Uh, you got obviously Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, Sean McVay in um, LA you got Mike Vrabel in Tennessee, Matt LaFleur in um, in uh, Green Bay. Wow. Out of all the words that I should struggle to remember, that's probably not the best one. <laughs> uh, to a, a much lesser extent, you know, you, you have other disciples of the tree. So 
if you're if you're thinking about the Mike Shanahan coaching tree, the top guys who learn from him, his top disciples, really, I, I think if you were to to build out the tree, you'd have a Matt Lafleur branch, you'd have a Kyle Shanahan branch, you'd have a Sean McVay branch, and you could argue that Matt Lafleur maybe belongs underneath the Kyle Shanahan tree, and I would not complain if you did that, but. I think we can separate it out a little bit because Matt did coach for Mike, as did Sean and Kyle. Uh, Anthony Lynn coached for Shanahan. The Lynn doesn't have any more branches off of his uh, branch. There's no, no twigs coming off the Anthony Lynn branch. Obviously, you have Gary Kubiak. Gary Kubiak coached up Kevin Stefanski, now the head coach of the Browns. He coached up uh, his son, Clint Kubiak, who is still running the offense there um, in Minnesota. And then the the much less talked about Art Shell branch, which has Bill Callahan, Tom Walsh, and Mark Tressman. That's that's much older news. But if you're looking at the at the new modern branches, you got the Gary Kubiak branch, which is I would say the most different out of the you know if you got Gary Kubiak, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Matt Lafleur. Kubiak is is the most different. Uh, but the, the Vikings and Browns are, are still uh, disciples of the Shanahan um, offense. Sean McVay obviously mentored Zach Taylor. And Zach Taylor's offense, I would say, doesn't share a lot of similarities with the Shanahan offense. But still inclusive in here. Kyle Shanahan obviously discipled uh, Robert Sala, Mike McDaniel, the, new, the Dolphins' new head coach. And Mike LaFleur, uh, Matt's brother. And, and again, with, with Matt LaFleur, you could put him under Sean McVay. You could put him under Kyle Shanahan because he did coach for both of those guys. Uh, first in um, Atlanta with Kyle and then L.A. with Sean. But he wasn't at either place for a super long time. And he did get to learn directly from Mike. And Matt has his own coaching tree now already at this point. Arthur Smith worked under Matt LaFleur in Tennessee, the offense kept going in Tennessee after Matt left, uh, and, and and as is typical with the Shanahan offense, which takes a while to uh, develop and, and really blossom, it, it took a year with Tennessee. In fact, Matt was no longer there when it really took hold with Arthur. Now Arthur is the head coach of the Falcons. Their offense last year was horrific. I would maybe expect, you know, if you're just looking at how everybody, uh, all the other teams fared, you would expect the Falcons to take a step forward on offense this year. We'll see. Um, they, you know, just lost their quarterback. I, I, I think that if you look at all the turmoil they have going on in Atlanta, maybe a lot of reasons to not expect it to take a step forward. And then obviously you have Nathaniel Hackett and Luke Getze under the LaFleur tree as well. Um, and so I, I do want to talk about the offense, but probably not today. But but uh, all these different offshoots of the Shanahan offense have their own flavors. The Rams offense has a lot of differences with the Packers. And I think you would probably expect, although the Packers were maybe the more the most similar to maybe a blend of like the Rams and the Titans over the last two years. I think maybe you would have an expectation that this year the team is going to overall much more closely resemble the 49ers. That is a statement that I'm making that is true about the offense. Also true about the defense from a personnel standpoint. You look at um, the Rams, the Niners, the Buccaneers, and uh, let's throw the Chargers on there. I'm trying to think who else has um, just really viciously whipped us over the last couple of years. The Saints. And you get these defenses that have just a stacked front seven. Wicked pass rushers, huge defensive tackles, hyper-athletic linebackers. Think Fred Warner. Um, the heck is the guy's name? Yeah, uh, Devin White, but but what's what's the guy's next name next to him? Buccaneers, uh, linebackers. I, I I can only think of Devin Smith or uh, Devin Lloyd and Kobe Dean when I try and think of um, this dude's name. Levante David. There we go. I don't know why. I mean, Nakobe and 
and Levante, uh, it could be Dean, Levante, David. I mean, it's, it's similar. And then Devin White, Devin Lloyd. I, I just struggle every time I try and think of Levante David's name. But these defenses, these these brutal front seven, have just walloped us the last few years. And it's quite clear, looking at the, the last couple draft classes, looking at how they have, have rebuilt this defense up with uh, Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker, and you got TJ Slayton and Devontae Wyatt and Kenny Clark, and you got uh, the, the edge rushers are maybe a little bit less of a focal point, but you still got, you know, in Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary, you have top 10 or, you know, at least top 15 pass rushers that you really like. It's going to be a really versatile defense. And that defense is, uh, shares some similarities with what they're doing in L.A., shares some similarities with what they did in Tampa and um, San Francisco. But they're copying the Fangio defense. The Rams, the Chargers, um, even the Bears, although I think that they just don't have the talent anywhere to really execute anymore, are copying the Fangio defense. And it'll be interesting to see where Fangio ends up because he's not in the league. He coached uh, the Broncos last year, has not accepted a new job anywhere yet. I don't know if he has interviewed or, or been offered any jobs. I didn't keep up with that. But Brandon Staley uh, ran there the defense in L.A. for the Rams. Now he's with the Chargers. Uh, Chargers have great defensive players along the defensive line. Uh Linebackers are pretty suspect. I think they're going to need to bolster the linebacker room. And by the way, it makes sense that when the guy off of that Rams coaching staff, who was a Fangio disciple, Joe Barry, when the guy that we stole what happened to be the linebackers coach, it just wasn't that surprising that he came to Green Bay and we immediately started prioritizing linebackers. It's related, clearly. <laughs> I mean, Green Bay never cared about linebackers, ever. And now we not only have uh, one linebacker here that we drafted with our, our first overall pick in 2022, we also have the guy that we just paid a boatload of money to. Both these guys are excellent tack tacklers, freak alien athletes. And we know that bringing in Joe Barry to Green Bay was all about bringing the Fangio defensive system to Green Bay. Well, let's talk about what what the defense actually does. What's what's the biggest thing that separates the Fangio defense? Here's a quote from Chris Harris Jr., a cornerback who played for Fangio in Denver and um, ended up leaving Denver, got signed by uh, the Chargers, who have Brandon Staley, another Fangio guy. He says it's a versatile defense. Fangio has a wide variety of defenses, and it takes a while to get adjusted. You have to be smart to know how to play your spot, play your zone, play your position. I think that's why I like it. It has so much. It has a lot of different looks that we can bring. Let's talk about those different looks. Highlight a game from 2018, which of course was when the Bears defense was otherworldly. Um, this would be one of the very last times that Fangio ever coached with the Bears because he would go on to get a job as the head coach of the Broncos. 2018, in December, the Bears played the Rams. Now, if you rewind back to early December 2018, the Rams and the Chiefs were seemingly unstoppable that year. Uh, Sean McVay's offense was unstoppable. It was on fire. Uh, Patrick Mahomes was breaking out. Jared Goff looked like he was the other shining new star in the NFL. Of course, that season had to end in another Tom Brady win in the Super Bowl. Like... Always happens, but the Rams were something else. 
until they came to Chicago. So the Rams at that point were 11 and one. They had scored at least 30 points in 10 of the 12 games they had played at that point. In fact, they were scoring an average of 34.9 points per game. That's wild. Um, they had already had that shootout with the Chiefs, which the final score was, uh, bo- I mean, both teams got into the 50s. It was like 55 to 53, something like that, 54 to 51, something like that, with the Chiefs. Uh, the I believe the third highest scoring game in NFL history. Super fun offense to watch. But week 13 comes up. Um, the, <laughs> the Rams march into a frigid soldier field. And all of a sudden, Sean McVay's offense meets an immovable object. Vic Fangio was prepared. He had every type of defensive player he needed to put any defensive look on the field. He held the Bears to two field goals. And 214 total yards. (laughs) And, of course, the Bears' anemic offense was able to put up more than six points. They won 15 to six. (laughs) Uh, It's just incredible. Like, you're, you're highlighting, yeah, and this was how good the Bears' defense was at their peak. They held the Sean McVay offense in its heyday to six points. Yeah, what did the offense do? Well, I mean, the offense only scored 15 points. <laughs> That's the Bears for you. How did they do it? Well, one of the things that Fangio did that day was he brought a safety down into the box on the line of scrimmage, actually. Presented a 6-1 front. It had six players along the defensive line, one middle linebacker. And that completely neutralized the weak side running game that McVeigh had been running rampant across the league with all season long. He had no answer. There was nothing he could do. Todd Gurley couldn't do jack. He had 28 yards on 11 carries. Now, you would say, why don't you just start throwing the ball? Well, they tried that. And what Fangio did was... (laughs) He's still putting out a 6-1 front, as far as I can tell. You got six guys on the defensive line, pre-snap, but it's disguised. And as soon as they snap the ball, they shift into their standard 3-4 base defense. (laughs) Uh, And you got three receivers out there, and you got four DBs covering them up. Got two linebackers there all of a sudden who are covering up the middle of the field. Taking away the uh, those those intermediate routes, the short crossing routes, there was nothing that they could do because they weren't prepared. They couldn't tell based on how Fangio was disguising his um, his uh, coverages pre-snap to what was going to happen. Goff had four interceptions, was sacked three times, zero touchdowns. And what was the result of that game? First of all, you laid out a blueprint that two other teams were able to copy to shut down the Rams. One was the Lions uh, with Matt Patricia, a Belichick disciple. Second was the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And we know that Belichick was really studying what the Lions and Bears had done against the Rams. Uh, I think it's, it's pretty easy to intimate that the Bears' loss really was a a death knell for the Rams Super Bowl hopes. Now, what they could have done is learn from it. But I think one of the issues is that the McVay offense was very quarterback friendly. And you didn't have a quarterback in Goff who could still flourish once the scheme is is being beaten by the defense. And, And you actually need a guy... Who can think on the fly and still react to those dramatic shifts in defensive coverage. But the other effect was that McVeigh ended up hiring Brandon Staley, um, who was a Fangio disciple, to come in and run his defense after that. Staley 
obviously then mentored Joe Barry. Staley got a job um, off of his performance as the Rams defensive coordinator to go become the uh, Chargers head coach. And Joe Barry obviously moves on to Green Bay. Now, Fangio seems uniquely gifted at destroying the Shanahan offense. Because Fangio's been around for a long time prior to being with the Bears in uh, 1718. In 2011 and in 2013, Shanahan uh, was a coordinator with the Niners, and he played against the uh, Washington Redskins, who were featuring a young RG3. Previously, he was the Offensive Rookie of the Year. He had just 118 yards. He was sacked six times. Of course, McVay and LaFleur were both there as well as Kyle Shanahan, and Mike Shanahan was the head coach. First time, uh, San Francisco won 19-11. Second time, they won 27-6. And I got a lot of quotes here from Mike Shanahan on Vic Fangio as a defensive coordinator, but here's a little more interesting one to me from Wade Phillips. Uh, he said, Vic's done a great job everywhere he's been, obviously, defensively. Everything's complicated because offenses are so complicated. You have to make so many adjustments. But his defense is pretty complicated. Most of the time, it's not the system. It's what they do with it and the players they have. But Vic's been successful as a defensive coordinator at different places. So you know what he's done, not only his defense, but the people that he's had. All right, we've talked about what this style of defense has accomplished and what some of its strengths are, what do they they actually do? Well, for starters, they kind of don't really blitz very much. That's been true of Fangio's defenses. That was also true last year of the Packers. The Packers blitzed on 21.3% of their plays. If you had to guess, is that a high number or a low number? Here are the teams who blitz fewer times than the Packers. The Bengals, Colts, Titans, 49ers, Texans, Eagles, and Raiders. That's it. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers had the highest blitz rate at 40.8%, twice as many times. Or twice as big of a percentage of time, anyways. So they don't blitz very often. When they do blitz, it's very intentional. Uh, Mike Shanahan pointed this out. He said, when Fangio blitzes, he blitzes for a reason. We talk about the importance of that front seven being so lethal. It starts with your defensive tackles. They play heavy on their blocks. They take on blockers head-on. They believe in having your defensive tackles be the guys to shut down the running game. This this has been effective for a long time. you got to have the right guys to do it, though. You think back to um, what the 2019 defense looked, how the struggles that they had um, taking on the run. Uh, one of the effects of this, of, of really asking your tackles to be the ones to shut down the running game, frees up your linebackers a lot. And Coach Hahn talked last year about um, leaving your defensive line unprotected by your linebackers. Free them to just go, go make plays. This is what Devondre Campbell talks about in in that he loves that the Packers just let him go be a linebacker, he says. He wants to be a, a traditional Mike linebacker, just see ball, get ball. It's also a very cornerback-friendly scheme. They play a ton of zone. Uh, they don't do a lot of press man ever, even though I think in the last day or two, Ryan was talking about Oh, who was it? Eric Stokes, I think, is like one of the best players in football at press man, something like that. Uh, Fangio's defensive scheme just doesn't press man very often. It's it's almost all zone. Um, and what that leads to is more turnovers. And you see that across a lot of teams. When, when the Bears were at their best in 2018, they had uh, 36 turnovers. When uh, Fangio left and went to Denver... You saw uh, Justin Simmons was able to take advantage of that and and start coming up with the ball a lot as well. Fangio is well known for changing the look of the defense 
post-snap. For example, in Denver, he was frequently sending safeties up, rushing out of their safety position to go double a cor- to go double a receiver who was originally just covered by one cornerback. Happened a lot in Denver. Now, one staple of the Fangio defense that's not going to jive with what your eyeballs saw last year from Joe Barry's is that the Fangio defense traditionally is elite in the red zone. And even with the Broncos, when the Broncos defense was really struggling a lot, uh, they actually led the league in red zone defense in, in both seasons that Fangio was the head coach there. They limited touchdowns to just 43.9% of all red zone trips across those two years. So you get the ball inside the 20-yard line, you were only going to get a touchdown 43.9% of the time. That was league best, and they did that back-to-back years. What is the reason why that is traditionally the case with Fangio defense? Well, when you're in the red zone, Fangio almost always keeps two inside linebackers on the field. Most defenses will take a inside linebacker off the field and go into a nickel situation. They'll put in a third safety, a fourth cornerback, whatever. Fangio really strongly believes in having two inside backers when you're in the red zone. Why? He believes it provides a greater defensive flexibility. He can mix and match his pressures and coverages um, having those two linebackers, and, and really he uses, he's got four linebackers because you got your outside backers. And when you're in the red zone, he's utilizing them in a uh, multiple variety of ways. And he believes that you're going to have better tackling when you have more linebackers. Bigger linebackers should be able to tackle better than uh, a safety or a cornerback. And when you are in the red zone, <laughs> every inch matters. <laughs> and and we saw uh, Chris Barnes last year had, I think, two different games where he saved a, uh, a touchdown by bringing a guy down. I mean, just like inches or, or a foot short of the goal line. Uh, or one time he forced a guy out of bounds there. And that ends up you know, saving the drive because then they're able to make another stop on the next play or, or um, you know, in, in the one case that was a third down. So if that's the reason that his defense is so good in the red zone. Makes a lot of sense. Looking back, Packers struggled in the red zone in 2021. They really only had one linebacker that they really could depend on. I, you know, you don't hate Chris Barnes, but he's not on the same level as Devondre Campbell. So you have Joe Barry pounding the table, talking to Goody and saying, get me another linebacker. Thank you for Devondre. Get me another one. I need two. I can't do my job with only one linebacker. You have to get me a second one. Makes sense. If you're Brian Gutekunst and you're trying to think what what is the biggest needle mover that I can get for this team? Is it? getting an elite wide receiver so that Aaron has more places to go with the football, more dependable targets. Well, if my defensive coordinator is telling me I can go from being a not good red zone defense to a very good red zone defense and limit to a huge factor, the number of touchdowns that opposing teams are scoring just by adding this one guy That math makes a lot of sense. You can see why adding Quay Walker, if you believe that he is the right player to do what Joe Barry needs, uh, which which makes sense since all the scouting reports on on Quay Walker hammer home how, man, he's just a clone of Devondre Campbell. Uh, And you look at what what a great tackler he is, the massive size. That was the, you know, that was the the big separator between him and um, Nicobe Dean, his teammate. Everybody says, well, Nicobe Dean is the better player. Granted, there was a little bit of an injury with Nicobe. I, I don't. I would be surprised if the injury was really the reason why the Packers didn't go for him. But the the massive difference between these two is size. Devin uh, uh, Nicobe Dean, five uh, eleven, two hundred twenty nine pounds. Quay Walker, six four, two forty one. Not even close. Five inch difference in height. 
If you want a big linebacker, there was no way you're going to be considering Nicobe Dean over Quay Walker. Well, what about Devin Lloyd? Devin Lloyd, six foot three, two hundred thirty-seven pounds, nearly the same size as Quay, just one inch shorter. And actually, Leo Chanel, uh, also one inch shorter than Quay, and nine pounds heavier, six three, two fifty. Well, what is the other thing that separates Quay? Quay had the best tackle grade of anybody in the draft at linebacker. He had the fewest missed tackles at 4.3%. Uh, for comparison, Devin Lloyd was at 11.5. Where the heck is Leo Chanel? Here's Leo Chanel. He's um, 10.8. So uh, they both were missing twice as many tackles as Quay Walker. Quay Walker's tackle grade was a 90.6. Chanel had an 85.9, which, you know, you like to see. That's certainly respectable. Devin Lloyd, only a 75.1. Quay clearly stands out over Devin Lloyd. And if you're comparing Wisconsin to Georgia, Georgia's defense faced way stiffer competition. On paper, when you're comparing these guys, you don't have to come to the same conclusion and agree that Quay was the best pick. But you can clearly see how Gudekunst arrived at that conclusion himself. Uh, then the uh, 9.6 relative athletic score obviously didn't hurt anything either when you're deciding if you're going to go ahead and take this dude in the first round who your uh, defensive coordinator is banging the table for. Just makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what uh, they end up doing. So what it comes down to at the end of the day with the 2022 defense is there there are two factors that are going to be really cru- uh, really crucial. And the first is the talent of the players available. Well, we like the new guys that they added. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a learning curve for Devontae Wyatt and Quay Walker. They're going to have to play some catch-up. But across the rest of the defense, it's all the guys who were the starters last year. And you can cry about losing Zedarius if you want to, but he didn't play last year. And they only missed him from a depth standpoint. They were fine without him as a starter. Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith held it down. The question last year was always about depth. You always wanted to give Rashawn and Preston a breather. You always wanted to feel better about the depth behind them because we were experiencing injuries at so many positions. You're like, we, we are one injury away from just sucking. So behind those two guys now this year, you got Kingsley and Nagbar. You got Jonathan Garvin. Uh, Randy Ramsey is going to be coming back. I'm interested to, interested to see what he does. I, I don't – I've always liked Randy. We just have never really gotten to see him going up against starting caliber Um offensive players uh he's he's been like a, a preseason stud every year but the, the coaches like him a lot uh and um you know you get see what you're gonna get from tipa and and ladarius hamilton i think that depth at outside linebacker is still gonna be a concern but your starting talent i think Rashawn and preston are good enough kenny clark Dean Lowry, if he sticks around, Jerron Reed, Devontae Wyatt, TJ Slayton. You shouldn't have any problems with that defensive tackle group, despite the fact that you rotate through a lot of those guys every game. But how long is it going to take Devontae to get caught up? I mean, let's say that by like week five, he's playing at a level where you feel really comfortable having him out there. You could have Kenny and... Uh, let's say Dean Lowry out there and then rotate them for Devante and Jerron Wheat, uh, Dr- Reed. That could really work. You got TJ Slayton as your fifth guy that you're rotating in and out of there. I think that you should be able to stop the run with just your defensive tackles. That should be something you can do. And when you're in, you know, when you're, when you are in goal line situation and you have to get a stop, you put Kenny and Devante out there at the same time or Kenny and, and whoever has been playing the best that you know at that point in the year. You should be able to get the stops you need with your defensive tackle group. That's something that you, we really couldn't say about our defensive tackle room since Mike Daniels was here. 
Inside backer, Devondre and Quay, I think, should be enough to hold it down. And I think Quay should be able to make an impact early on this year. Why? Because the inside linebacker job in Joe Barry's scheme is an easy one. It's very friendly to these inside linebackers. They, they, they don't have a lot of complicated crap they have to learn and memorize. Safety, we got to see what happens. Cornerback, we already talked about how it's a, a cornerback-friendly scheme. Jair, Stokes, Rasul, uh, Shamar, Nixon, Kabion, whoever is out there. They should have an easier time playing all this zone coverage um, than if they were asked to be playing man more often. And what this all brings us to is the guy making the play calls. How good is Joe Barry going to do at calling these plays in the right situations? Because that was what really set Vic Fangio apart. What really set Brandon Staley apart is that they were able to diagnose how to confuse a Jared Goff. It's nice in theory to say, well, this is what we'd like to do. Can Joe Barry take the next step this year? Um, continue to get better at doing that, at calling those plays. You need these guys disguising their plays uh, pre and post snap. But I will say, I really think that the burden of the complications in this defense, you know, where 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 is it hardest to play defense in Green Bay this year. I think it's going to be the defensive line. You're really asking your your um, interior defenders to do a lot. Because if they're not doing their job, then the whole thing falls apart because you you have to ask your linebackers to come in and and protect your defensive line. And it's got a it's got a snowball effect. And that is really where it could go off the rails. We'll get in, I think, maybe next week, unless something interesting comes up, we'll get into uh, what the offense is going to look like this year, how we should expect that to change. I think that's going to be a fun conversation to have as well. And uh, we also, you know, I guess I could have mentioned this earlier, we have a new cornerback. We flipped Rico Gafford over from wide receiver to cornerback, and I like that move a lot. I never had, I mean, I had less than... 1% 1% confidence in what Rico was going to do as a wide receiver. As a cornerback, which is actually what he has more experience doing, I think the Raiders are the ones, is the Raiders, I think the Raiders are the ones who moved into wide receiver. Um, prior to that, he was a, you know, a, a better cornerback than he's ever been a receiver. So, uh, but it'll be interesting to see how this all pans out. We got a, a bunch of guys moving around from different rooms. Um, so, Tariq Carpenter, by the way, interesting, really interesting looking at the, Inside linebacker and safety rooms right now because if Tariq Carpenter were a safety, <laughs> this roster would make a lot more sense. Uh, over the last 11 years, uh, we have kept an average of 4.3 inside linebackers and 4.5 safeties on the initial 53-man roster. Well, we are currently sitting at nine inside linebackers and just six safeties. If you move Tariq back over to the safety room, the numbers would make a lot more sense. I understand that that's not how you build a roster. You put Tariq in the inside linebacker room if that's where you actually want him to play. But I do just find it really interesting. And and another thing that will be interesting is how they list Tariq uh, on the actual roster. Let me check and just see what the website says right now. Do they list him as a Packer? Uh, Packer, obviously, is a Packer. Do they list him as a linebacker or a safety? And right now, he's even on this list. Safety. Safety. Tariq Carpenter is listed as a safety right now. Matt LaFleur is the one who said we're moving him to the linebacker room. But it'll be interesting. I think you're going to see also a blurring of the lines between linebacker and safety this year. Um, which to an extent you saw last year, uh, but last year you had more safeties playing linebacker. And I think this year you might have a situation where you have more linebackers playing safety, but anywho, I'm going to get out of here. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, remember to check me out on Twitter at JJ Leahy, L A H E Y. And please, if you enjoy my podcast, patreon.com slash JJ Leahy. Um, and uh, financially support the show as well. If you don't like Patreon for some reason, shoot me a message, and uh, I've got 
other apps as well that uh, we could work with. But uh, at the end of the day, I just super appreciate um, the messages that I get from everybody um, sharing their thoughts on the episode, asking questions, um, suggesting future podcast topics. I'm always looking for new topics that you guys are interested in. You know, it's one thing for me to find a project that's interesting to me to dig into, but I, I really like hearing from you guys about what you want to hear. Um, and it makes it easy too when I'm trying to put my schedule together. All right. Have a good one. I'll talk to you later.